0: hey guys just before we get started i wanted to kind of put a swear warning because i realize i do in fact swear a lot and i just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child and also i'd like to say uh sorry mom (laughs) let's get started with the episode hey guys welcome back to the long mission rain podcast i'm aiden i'm your host for this podcast so, it has been a very interesting, um, two weeks because, well, uh, guess whose parents have COVID? Yay! Oh, God, you know, my family was doing so good. We went two years without any problems, no exposures, nothing, and next thing you know, in this week, both my parents turn up positive. Ugh! You know what? Most likely, I'm probably going to be the next person to get it because I spend the most time with them. My brother's probably safe down in his little basement hideaway where he plays video games and, like, doesn't talk to any of us. So, most likely, I'm probably going to get it next. We'll see. You never know. Also, in, in terms of good things that have happened to me this week, I have been on fire with podcast script writing. You guys are not prepared for all the good shit I have coming up for you guys oh i am so excited i was like i think i finished like two different scripts like in a day i'm very proud of myself (laughs) i've just been like typeity type 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 oh done it's been really good lots of lots of time to uh do podcast writing mostly because i can't well i can't go anywhere because my parents are sick and i don't want to get anyone else sick even though like the only thing I go out for right now is groceries and also I don't have a job yet my summer job still has not called me so won't be getting anything there um in other good news I purchased my Mount Vernon tickets for when I go to Washington in June I'm so excited you guys are gonna get like all the updates when I go to Washington it's gonna be so much fun it will be the only fucking thing I talk about that entire week that I go anyway enough about me Let's get on to the topic at hand today we are finally ending the six queens series that started all the way back in season one of this podcast and today we are talking about the one the only catherine pa. ha. now you know catherine she doesn't really get a lot of attention as henry's sixth queen i think one of the things you usually hear about her especially in history classes that i've been in is that you know she was like this like middle-aged lady who you know nursed henry the eighth like into his grave and also she you know made it out of there with her head still intact but gosh she is so much more interesting than that i mean she was a, a a metropolitan Polishing queen. She was incredibly cultured. So, so, so smart. And she's really a person that England should be really proud of to have had as one of their queens and probably is one of my favorite of Henry VIII's queens. After researching Catherine, I think she's kind of moved up in the list. Uh, she used to be at the bottom because I didn't really know anything about her, but I, I I think she's moved up. I'll reassess my list of Henry VI queens very soon. But I hope you guys are excited. So let's get into it. Ah, Coca Cola, you know, at this point, with all this free advertising I'm doing for Coca Cola, they should really sponsor me. Honestly, good to God, I could use the money. Anyway, so Let's let's get in, get into it. So, uh, Catherine Parr was born probably in August of 1512 to Sir Thomas Parr and Lady Maud Green in Blackfriars, which is like a, a a neighborhood in London. Now, we're not sure of Catherine's exact date of birth, but everything I read said she was probably born in late summer, which is probably august which means she could either be a leo or a virgo but probably most likely she's a leo since like the leo zodiac sign takes up like 90 percent of the month of august uh leos are strong and fearless they're natural born leaders which you know i think fits Catherine no matter like what the situation she was always in control of whatever she was doing and she takes charge in many of the situations of her life and also you know leo is kind of like a rare sign on this podcast we don't have a lot of leos um i think the only two leos we've had are eliza schuyler wife of alexander hamilton and um elizabeth bathory i think yeah i literally think those are the only two leos we have ever had on this podcast Hold on, let me check my list. Yeah, no, that's it. Um, and I, th- I think you guys will see that this uh, zodiac sign definitely fits her as we get more into the story. So before we get into Catherine's childhood, let's talk about her parents, Maud and Thomas, starting with, of course, Thomas. Now, Thomas Parr was born in 1483 to a very influential northern English family that on his mother's side was descended from King Edward III of England. And in Thomas's time, he was a highly respected member of the English court. The early reign of Henry VIII was actually a really good time for Thomas because not only was he a talented courtier, uh, getting named as the king's master of the guards and comptroller to the king, he was also knighted and made the high sheriff of Northamptonshire in uh, both 1509 and he was also made the high sheriff of Lincolnshire in 1510. Not to mention, the vibe at Henry VIII's court at the time was perfect for a young man looking to make his mark. Now, the entire court was made up of mostly teenagers and 20-somethings with basically nearly unlimited money. And Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon were basically in their prime. Like, it was the best place to be at the time if you were a young person. And Thomas Parr basically reveled in this mini golden renaissance era for the english court okay now on to catherine's mom maude because boy was she cool maude green was born on april 6 1492 in central england and she was the co to her brother william green now maude was fortunate to get a stunning education where she learned french latin and literature she was described as an excellent student by all her tutors and it's probably the reason catherine ended up being like such a stickler for education in her well, entire life because her mother was so highly educated with which if you remember was rare for nobility to educate their daughters at this time unless you were like an Anne Boleyn. Um, now Maude married Catherine's father when she was 16 and he was 25 which you know isn't the worst age gap ever but it's definitely uncomfy either way. Now Maude and Thomas had three children uh, Catherine was their oldest then their son William and then Anne. Now, Thomas Parr was not the only one to bask in this mini golden age that Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon had going on because Maude Green, she loved the court too. Now, thanks to Thomas' influence, Catherine's mother was appointed as a lady-in-waiting to Queen Catherine of Aragon uh, when she was about 18 years old. And Maude developed a very, very close friendship with Queen Catherine, uh, probably because they could both speak French. Probably. Um, And... It's believed that because of this friendship that our Catherine Parr was named after Catherine of Aragon. And there's further evidence for this by the fact that Catherine of Aragon was Catherine Parr's godmother, which is also just like another odd connection between the wives of Henry VIII. Like, not only are they like all related, but like his first wife was godmother to his sixth wife, which is like kind of weird. It's actually super weird okay time to get into childhood which doesn't really start out great because in 1517 when catherine is about four or five her dad unfortunately passes away from an illness we don't know what her relationship was like with her father but she was a little kid and i'm assuming that she was very very devastated now it was just her mom her brother and her little sister all alone which probably would have been scary in like renaissance europe because you know shit happens. Uh but you know mama mod knew what was up and she made sure that her babies had good lives catherine's mother took charge of her children's lives and started their education super early and was already planning marriages for them at a young age now thanks to her mother catherine became fluent in french italian and latin she could read and write and she very very much enjoyed reading however one fun fact i uh write about her is apparently she wasn't the biggest fan of sewing because it like hurt her hands and i honestly same girl i hate sewing gosh it hurts my hands I can't stand sewing, honest to God. Like, I, I prefer a machine over hand sewing any fucking day. All right, before we talk about Catherine's first marriage, let's discuss what she looked like. And luckily, we have a verified portrait of her, as well as good basic descriptions of her. So, gay. No guessing. I love it when I don't have to just make up shit. Now, <laughs> Catherine stood at 510, which is so tall for a woman i mean i'm only 5'7 and if i stood next to her i'd like hit like just like maybe like a couple inches above her shoulder uh, not to mention uh the three inch heels she would have worn which making her even taller she was really a big fan of uh well basically the baby version of high heels she also had this like beautiful red gold hair hazel eyes and while she was never considered like overly attractive in her lifetime uh, most people were really into her like super magnetic personality over her looks which kind of reminds me of Anne Boleyn because people said pretty much the exact same thing about her also uh, one thing I just realized now that we were getting to the end Of like our Six Queens series, out of Henry's wives, he married three redheads, all named Catherine. And you know, I'm not saying he has a type, but he definitely had a type because that is just like too perfect to make up. Like I like I understand like marrying three Catherines because Catherine was an incredibly common name back then. But like all three of your Catherine wives, redheads, hmm, yeah. You know, I love talking about Henry VIII one day. I'm going to run out of ways to talk about him, and that'll just be sad for me. Because he is a whole mess, but, you know, I digress. Uh. Okay, so in 1529, when Catherine was about 17 years old, uh, she married this guy, uh, 21-year-old Sir Edward Burr of Gainsborough. And Gainsborough is like, it's like a town located in like the northeast of England. Now, we don't know much about Edward as a person. Actually, his Wikipedia page is actually quite short. Other than the fact that uh, he was pretty sickly for most of his life, he did not have good health. Uh, But we do know a bit about his family background, which, you know, kind of makes it really obvious why Catherine's mother, Maude, arranged this marriage for her. Now, thanks to Edward's dad, Thomas, of course, another Thomas, the Burr family was a very well-respected family from the North. Tom- and Thomas Burr was hard as fucking nails. Like, he was a scary motherfucker. And reading some of the stories about him makes me kind of feel bad that Catherine got this guy as a father-in-law. Um, and Thomas Burr, he really tried his hand at, like, intimidating Catherine into submission because, like, she, you know, she didn't have children, like, right away or anything like that. But just because, you know, little Edward was scared of his father did not mean Catherine was going to be. But she did generally try her best to, like, lay low in this house so, like, Thomas Burr would leave her alone. Now, we don't know much about Catherine and Edward's relationship, but they seem to like each other well enough. Like, I, I can't find anything of them, like, not getting along or anything, so that's good and although Catherine was very very bored in the north which you know makes sense she she grew up a lot of her time in london like where the court was and like like doing all these fun things and like the north was probably so fucking boring by comparison Catherine would like write her mother like constantly being like mom i'm so fucking bored what can i do uh But unfortunately, uh, her mother died in December of 1531, which really sucks because, you know, that was her mom. She was the person who raised her, made sure, you know, she was going to have a good life. (sighs) Now, two years after her mother died, after about four years of marriage to Edward, Catherine's husband died. I don't know of what. It's probably because he was really sickly. And Catherine was a widow at the ripe age of 21. Great time to be a widow um not really actually that's a lie <laughs> no since this is the renaissance and catherine is a 21 year old widow she can't remain unmarried when you know she could be like popping out like 10 babies so it's time for lucky husband number two and who might that be not henry the eighth it's actually this guy named john neville baron latimer now john neville is actually a really interesting. Um, character in catherine's life uh when they get married in 1534 uh for one thing he's almost double her age he was born in uh, 1493 which is like literally like a year younger than catherine's mother (laughs) like that's how old he is like comparatively to her but what's also interesting is his family history is like kind of rebellious like in, in general northern noble families had like a a big history of being rebellious in general but the Neville's of Latimer could like flip a switch if they thought that one side was going to benefit them but you know so far for John Neville he'd been pretty loyal to Henry VIII serving in his campaign in France but uh don't get too comfortable with his loyalty because you know some drama is actually going to come up uh, but the point is, because of his loyalty, John is a pretty big fucking deal at court, which means, you know, money and influence, which is, like, all all noble people want at this time. Also, uh, good news... Uh, Catherine's not really being that pressured to have kids because John already has children. Um, Because Catherine was not his first wife because he was an old guy and he'd already had a wife. But uh, Catherine develops a pretty strong relationship with her two stepchildren who were named John and Margaret. Because, of course, what the fuck else were they going to be named? (laughs) And she really treated them like they were her own children, which is so great. We love positive stepmom, stepchildren relationships. Now, we don't know much about John and Catherine's personal relationship, but she seemed like a very good and supportive wife, and like I said, like with Edward Burr, I can't find anything that says that they hated each other or anything. So I imagine they got him well enough, but boy would their marriage be an eventful thing for Catherine Barr. Now, I'm sure you guys know that as, as we've talked about on this podcast in the Six Queen series, that the late 1530s in England were a total shit show with religion. And because of that, a little something called the Pilgrimage of Grace happened. Essentially, the Pilgrimage of Grace was like this big protest against Henry VIII's break with Rome and the dissolution of the monasteries. And John Neville was implicated as a participant in the rebellions because of this like group of catholic lords who had forced him to help them which made him look super bad um catherine basically spent many months like scared in this castle that they owned called snape castle which is kind of funny (laughs) uh basically she was wondering where john was because he had basically been like forced to go and fight for the rebels um But he wasn't really doing what the Rebels wanted, and the Rebels were pissed at John for, you know, like, not being more like, yeah, fuck Henry VIII. (laughs) Even though he was Catholic, he wasn't super down with what the Rebels were doing. Anyway, these Rebels showed up at Catherine's home, took her and her stepchildren hostage, and the Rebels, like, literally took over the house. Like, they were doing whatever they wanted, and they started writing letters to John Neville being like, hey, motherfucker, you better come back here, or we're gonna murder your wife and your children. So, John was like, okay, I'm coming. (laughs) And luckily, John did make it back on time to Snick Castle and was able to negotiate Catherine and little John and uh, Margaret's release before anything super bad happened to them. Now, even though we don't know, like, how involved John was with the Pilgrimage of Grace, many, many people were convinced that he had helped the rebels. And his reputation, like, really suffered for it like they they got so much less influence in court which was so bad for them now catherine and her husband decided it was best to lay low at court you know hoping that you know rumors would die down and so they did catherine spent her time taking care of her stepchildren and she would visit her brother william parr and her little sister anne who by the way was now the countess of pembroke good for her Um, And it was during these visits uh, to uh, various other noble houses, especially the houses of her siblings, that she became acquainted with Queen Jane Seymour's older brother, Thomas Seymour. But, like, put a pin in that. We'll come back to it because, you know, Catherine is still married after all. Thomas Seymour, very important facet in this story. So just, like, remember him. He's coming back. Now, in 1543, John Neville got really, really sick suddenly, like, out of nowhere, and Catherine kind of nursed him through his illness until he died on, like, the 2nd of March, uh, 1543, but uh, don't be uh, too sad, because Johnny Boy left Catherine a very, very wealthy widow, so, like, as much as I'm sure she grieved for John Neville, I'm sure once she got, like, all that money in her account, she was like, oh, okay, this isn't too bad. Now, uh, Catherine was also named as the guardian of his daughter, Margaret, and was put in charge of basically all of her affairs until uh, Margaret reached 18 years old. Also, uh, John left Catherine uh, the manor of House and like a whole bunch of other property. She had like her own houses, which was pretty cool. He also gave uh, money for supporting his daughter. And in the case that his daughter did not marry within about five years, which is weird, uh, Catherine was to take... uh, 30 uh, pounds a year out of uh, the income to support her. Um, Basically, Catherine was left very, very stable. Uh, But after John's death, she faced the unfortunate possibility of having to return north. Now, it's likely that Catherine really sincerely mourned him. Like, she kept this, like, remembrance of him. Like, she had this, like... um, um like copy of the new testament with his name inscribed until her death which is like so sweet so like i i really think that like their marriage was based on a lot of respect and i really did think that they you know loved each other and in in a in a certain way that like arranged marriages go back then so like good good for catherine having like a fairly decent second marriage now, because Catherine was very, very determined not to head back to the north, she basically used all her connections and her money to get herself a place in the former Princess Mary's household, which was actually a pretty great place to be. After all, Mary's mother, Catherine Varagon, was Catherine's godmother, and most women were actually very close in age. So it's a, it's, it's a good place to be for Catherine. Not to mention, Thomas Seymour was totally sliding into Catherine's DMs. Now, Catherine was pretty head over heels in love with Thomas Seymour, and she was pretty determined to marry him once the proper mourning period for John Neville was over. But history had other plans for her. Now, while Catherine was working in Lady Mary's household, Mary was living at the main court and essentially acting in the Queen's duties since Henry VIII had recently chopped his latest wife's head off, and it was in uh, Mary's household where Henry first noticed Catherine Parr. Now, unlike Henry's previous wives who had been, like, pushed on him in, like, one way or another, um, either by, you know politics or ambitious families like the Boleyns, the Howards, and the Seymours, Catherine was genuinely Henry's fucking choice. And there was like literally nothing to gain from Mary and Catherine at all, but he was captivated by her presence. And he proposed to her pretty much like right away, which if I were her, that shit would have scared me. This dude is like cut off two wife's heads, divorced two other bitches, and another one of his wives died. That's <laughs> not the best track record. Not to mention, she was in love with Thomas Seymour. So, she asked Henry if she could have, like, a couple days and think about it, which Henry, you know, agreed to. He was like, okay, yeah, of course, yeah, go think about it. And Catherine spent, like, the next couple of days, like, weighing the pros and cons of marrying Henry. Like, I'm sure she made, like, a pros and cons list. Like, King... <laughs> King is the only only pro i'm sure that she put on her list <laughs> because there there were so many cons but Catherine realized by becoming queen of england she could do so much good for the country uh but most importantly in the religion department after henry the 8th uh, very recently, he had executed his best advisor, Thomas Cromwell, and the Reformation had kind of grinded to a bit of a halt because Thomas Cromwell had been, like, handling all that, and now he's dead. Um, and Catherine was very, very pro-Reformation, so she thought as queen she could do a lot to encourage Protestantism in England, and it was because of these reasons that she accepted henry's marriage proposal which i don't know she should have done and on july 12 1543 she married henry VIII at hampton court palace in a private ceremony which you know i've noticed is also like a trend like i don't think henry had any big public weddings like almost no all of his weddings were like private affairs which is kind of interesting Now, almost immediately after the wedding, Henry sent uh, good old Thomas Seymour off to Brussels to do some work for him. But realistically, it was so Thomas would keep his, like, stinky paws off his new wife. And to be honest, it was probably smart because we really don't need another queen accused of adultery in this place. And we don't need another head on the ground. Anyway, now, most of the time when people think of Catherine Parr as queen, we have this image of her being this, like, matronly middle-aged lady. Who like nursed Henry VIII through his final years? But that is so far from the truth. For starters, Catherine was in her early thirties. She was like fucking thirty-one tops, and while that was like a bit old at this time to like, like marry for the first time, this was Catherine's third marriage. So she was still ridiculously young in general. Like I hate to break it to you, but women don't just decay after thirty. Fun fact. About us. Also, uh, while it's true that uh, Catherine did nurse Henry because Henry was really obese, he had terrible health and a bad leg, she was also an incredibly active queen in, like, every single way. So, let's talk about that. Now, Catherine appointed uh, close friends and family members to her household, like her sister Anne, the Countess of Pembroke, and her stepdaughter Margaret, to be her ladies-in-waiting. Catherine was also determined to show herself as queen and ordered many fine fabrics to make dresses and... uh, fancy French gowns, jewels, and actually one year she ordered 47 pairs of shoes, which I've got to say, like, you go girl, material girl, <laughs> and uh, to be honest, for the most part, I think she provided the English court with probably the most stable and, like, fashionable court life that they had had since, like, maybe Henry's first three wives, Mo- mostly Catherine Aragon, because she was, like, a really stylish person, like, a lot of people don't give her credit for that. Um, Except there was very, very little drama around Catherine, unlike there had been with a couple of other of Henry's wives. I mean, she played the perfect queen. She had no ambitious family members because, you know, both of her parents were dead and her brother was cool. And everyone at court really seemed to like her, not to mention the role Catherine played in the lives of Henry's children. Now, Catherine was by far close with her oldest stepdaughter, Mary, because for one, they were pretty close in age. Catherine was only five years older than her. Uh, But despite the religious differences, they had a lot of the same tastes and interests. And Mary was an incredibly fashionable young lady, and so was Catherine. So it makes sense that Mary uh, would like Catherine probably the most out of all the stepmothers she'd ever had. Fuck. And Catherine was, like, more of a mother to Henry's younger kids, Elizabeth and Edward, than, like, any of the other wives had been. And to be honest, those two had the least stable upbringing of all of Henry's children, with, like, neither of them remembering their mothers. So Catherine sort of stepped in and created, like, probably the most stable home life they had ever had. Uh, Catherine was very active in making sure Elizabeth and Edward had fine educations. We can really credit her with that. Uh, She's mainly the reason why both Elizabeth and Edward were such staunch Protestants later in life. Um, (laughs) So good for her. Um, In July of 1544, Henry decided he wanted to take one more whack at invading France. So he decided to declare war. And believe it or not, he left Catherine Parr as regent of England which is fucking bonkers like if you if you've listened to the other five parts of the six queen series you know that the last time Henry left one of his li- wives as regent was all the way back with wife number one Catherine of Aragon was the last queen he had left as regent and I think him like doing this shows like this insane amount of trust and respect he had for her and then he genuinely thought he had found like an equal a partner that he was willing to share a little bit of power with with so thank you henry for doing something fucking nice for once to one of the women you are married to thank you henry also um bit of a sad moment before we move on um in 1545 catherine's stepdaughter from her second husband john unfortunately died we don't really know how catherine felt but imagine she was devastated like, like just because she didn't give birth to margaret doesn't mean she didn't have this like insane connection with her like that was her baby she'd raised margaret since she was like a little girl i mean she loved her so so much so it must have been like genuinely heartbreaking for her to lose margaret like so suddenly margaret was so young she was like 20 or something like that so that's really sad that she had to lose her now, long story short, Henry's war in France didn't go well. Like, it really didn't go well. Uh, so he came back and started once again to continue the Reformation in England, and Catherine was all for it. But she kind of had to tiptoe around Henry a little bit, because while Henry had broken with the church, he had done it for personal reasons, not because he was, like, some sort of radical Protestant who actually wanted to reform in the church. He just wanted to get a divorce. That was his whole thing. And also, he wanted money from the monasteries. So Catherine had to, like take this, like, sort of, like, in the middle, I'm kind of Catholic, but I'm also a little Protestant view around him. However, in private, she was much more radical in her viewpoints, and Henry was more cautious in his approach to the Reformation, which I know sounds stupid, but I swear it was too. Like, Henry was still, like, a a Catholic to his core. Now, while Catherine was queen, she published two books, one called Prayers and Meditations, which must have been okay enough like, in its viewpoints about the Reformation, because Henry had read it beforehand, and he was the reason it was published. But in uh, 1543, she finished writing uh, her second book, uh, Laminations of a Sinner, which was a much more radical text. And that's when Henry got really concerned about Catherine's views. Uh, Not to mention, she very often tried to debate, like, religious issues with Henry, which was, like, slowly pissing Henry off a little bit. And familiar patterns of... a a familiar pattern, I'm sorry, of arrests and blame started to happen. It looked like Henry would be uh, sniffing around for wife number seven very soon when Henry issued an arrest warrant for Catherine's heresy. (laughs) fuck, It's happening again. Now, luckily, Catherine got a tip off about the fact that she was about to be arrested, and she quickly had her ladies throw out all her radical books. And the next day she went to Henry. Like, had a private moment with him in his room, and she said she was very sorry about, like, all the times she had tried to, like, debate religion with him, and she was like, I wasn't trying to lecture you, I was trying to distract you from your injured, like, I promise, like, I'm not, I'm not like that. And believe it or not, this apology was a total pro-gamer move on Catherine's part, because the next thing you know, Henry and her were all good Uh, according to henry they were perfect friends again and when the men henry had sent to arrest catherine actually showed up to arrest her henry got mad at them and (laughs) told them to fuck off because apparently he forgot to tell them like oh hey i don't want to arrest her anymore (laughs) oh henry you fucking idiot okay so by the end of 1546 it was pretty obvious to everyone that henry the health wasn't looking so great so henry told catherine to spend christmas uh with mary at uh greenwich palace and when catherine left for christmas break i guess uh it was the last time she ever saw henry but i don't think she knew that um henry died on the 28th of january 1547 but it was not announced until the 31st uh until like the the government got ready to like. Make sure Edward was ready for the throne, even though he was a nine year old. Um, Henry made provisions for an allowance of £7,000 per year for Catherine to support herself, which I don't know how much that is in like Canadian dollars or even American dollars, but I'm sure it's a lot of money. Um, he further asked that after his death, Catherine, uh, though a Queen Dowager, and this is his word, should be given the respect of a Queen of England as if he were still alive, which is really cool. Uh, Catherine retired from court after she attended the coronation of her stepson, Edward VI, on the 31st of January, uh, 1547, and she settled down at her home at Old Manor in Chelsea, uh, bringing her stepdaughter Elizabeth, who, had, who she had been given guardianship over after Henry died since Elizabeth was, she was about 14 years old now, uh, until, of course, Elizabeth, you know, reached her majority. Now, when... Little baby Edward was officially crowned Catherine's old flame. Thomas Seymour was permitted to return to England since, you know, his nephew was now King of England. Uh, Thomas had an incredibly powerful position in the Regency since uh, little Eddie was like nine. And, you know, (laughs) kids can't run governments. (laughs) Although some kids tend to run governments better than more modern politicians, but whatever. (laughs) Basically, nine-year-olds shouldn't rule a country. So Thomas Seymour was like a, a big person in Edward's government. Now, pretty much the second Thomas Seymour got back, he started writing some uh, flirty letters to Catherine. And Catherine was kind of into it. He was, it was almost like the, the, the Renaissance equivalent of, like, you up. <laughs> anyway, Catherine was beginning to remember, like, what she had sacrificed to marry Henry. And now she figured, hey, I'm widowed for a third time. Maybe fourth time's a charm but there was a problem considering actually you need the king's permission as a member of the royal family to get married and considering the king was like nine and also controlled by Thomas Seymour's older brother Edward Seymour who would never give his little brother permission to marry the widow of the king so they were sort of stuck but they didn't let that stop them uh by May 1547 uh sorry <laughs> Thomas Seymour proposed and they were engaged. And by July, they got married in a secret ceremony and made the marriage public a couple of weeks later, which did not go over super well. Catherine's stepdaughter, Mary, was outraged and thought that, you know, maybe Catherine was so reckless she was not an appropriate guard- guardian for Elizabeth, which is like actually kind of sweet on Mary's part that she really cared-, cared so much about Elizabeth. Anyway, not about them. Still, either way, Elizabeth stayed with Catherine. Uh, not to mention Edward Seymour, the Lord Protector, was furious that his little brother had pulled such, like, a underhanded move to marry the, like, widow of the king. Still, it was too late. They were married, and nothing could change that. Now, the couple moved into Sudley Castle with 14-year-old Elizabeth and uh, one of the royal cousins, Lady Jane Grey, who may or may not be an important person who will one day get her own episode one day Anyway. Now, for the most part, Catherine and Thomas had a really good marriage. They had similar interests. Uh, They were close in age. They really liked each other. But, of course, Thomas Seymour had to fucking ruin it. Now, while little 14-15-year-old slash Elizabeth was living with them, Thomas started to act very inappropriately towards Elizabeth, like, tickling her and, like, playing tag, you know, at, at first it didn't really concern Catherine. And she joined him because she thought, like, he was just teasing her and, like, being, like, a normal, like, dad. But when Thomas started to try and come into Elizabeth's rooms, like, early in the morning to, like, tickle her, I'm using, like, quotations around tickle her, and that was when Catherine became concerned and was a little hurt by her husband. Now, eventually, Catherine had to make the very hard decision to send Elizabeth away, not because she blamed Elizabeth or anything. She knew it wasn't her fault for what happened, but she also felt, like, so guilty that she had let this happen and wanted to protect Elizabeth, so she knew she had to send her away. Now, Catherine was devastated when she sent Elizabeth away, but luckily, she did receive some good news about the same time. Now, after three previous marriages, at the age of 35, Catherine was pregnant! Yay! Now, Catherine had probably thought she would never be able to have kids because, you know, she'd been married three times and this was like the first time she'd ever gotten pregnant. So when she found out she was pregnant, she was like, woo, and started to make preparations for the baby's arrival. But unfortunately, it was not an easy pregnancy. After all, even now, having your first baby in, like, your late 30s is, like, considered, like, a geriatric pregnancy. But Catherine didn't care how sick she was. She was so excited to become a mother. And um, she actually had a nickname for the little baby growing inside her. She called called the baby the little (laughs) knave. And she would, like, rub her belly a lot. It's really cute. Um, On the 30th of August, uh, 1548, Catherine gave birth to a daughter who she named Mary after her stepdaughter, Mary. And uh, when little baby Mary was christened, her stepdaughter Mary acted as a godmother for her namesake. And after Catherine had the baby, it really looked like she had recovered well from the birth and, you know, her daughter was healthy, so it was looking good. But, unfortunately, because, you know, nothing can be good around here, four days later, Catherine became incredibly violently ill. And two days later, Catherine died on September 5th, 1548, and she was only 36 years old. Oh, fuck. Now, before we move on, I want to talk about the pretty shitty stuff that happened to Catherine's, like, body after she died. Now, Catherine's tomb was disturbed Several times after she died, which I personally I, I didn't know anything about this during the English Civil War, about like a hundred or so years after she had died, um, Sudley Castle, where, where she was buried, uh, was used as a base by King Charles the First, uh, which unfortunately led to its siege and sack in January of 1643, during which Catherine's grave was disturbed, and her monument was destroyed in the castle. Uh, the coffin was also uh, reopened in 1783, 1784, 1786, and in 1792, when uh, local vandals broke into the coffin and picked up her corpse and threw it into a rubbish sheep, which, ew! <laughs> um, the last time her coffin was opened was in 1817, when uh, the local rector decided to move it to the crypt under the chapel to, like, you know, um, keep it safe. Uh, And the last time the coffin was moved, it wasn't open this time, uh, was in 1861, so like during the reign of Queen Victoria, to its final location in the fully restored chapel under a canopied um, like neo-Gothic tomb designed by this guy named Sir George Gilbert Scott. Uh, Luckily now Catherine rests in peace and her tomb has not been touched since, which I'm really happy about but it really sucks that like her, like body was like so fucking disrespected after she died like ew now before we talk about catherine's legacy let's talk a bit about what happened to thomas seymour and catherine's daughter mary now unfortunately thomas became very erratic and even more hungry for power than he had been and he attempted <laughs> i use the word attempted he attempted to kidnap his own nephew edward the sixth in order to gain power but he failed horribly he had like tried to sneak into edward the sixth room to like kidnap him but he woke up edward's dog and like from the story that i read he shot it (laughs) to get it to shut up which i don't know why he would do that and it alerted the guards and he was arrested for treason and executed on the 20th of march 1549, which wow (laughs) Um, As for little Mary, she was barely a year old with both parents dead. So she was sent to live with uh, Catherine Willoughby, the Duchess of Suffolk. Um, This was not the best place for Mary. Uh, She was an extra mouth to feed and Catherine was like, actually, Catherine Willoughby was sort of forced to take her in. So she probably didn't enjoy her stay with Duchess Catherine. Now in about uh, 1550 is when Mary pretty much altogether disappears from historical records. So it's basically assumed that she died as a child. However, there are some theories that she actually did live into adulthood but just kind of like faded into obscurity like no one cared enough to write about her and stuff. So but the point is Mary did not get the life that Catherine would have wanted for her daughter. I'm sure she would have like enjoyed Mary to like you know get married and like have a big brood of grandchildren for her so it really sucks that like either way like whether she died or like grew up in this horribly abusive household with Catherine Willoughby Mary did not get the life that Catherine probably would have wanted for her daughter Alright, let's get into legacy. So Catherine is often remembered as surviving Henry VIII, but she has so much more interesting qualities that no one talks about. She was an incredibly well-educated woman who had a mind for politics and religion. She was a mother and a damn good one, not to mention she was the first English queen to be published twice. I'd say all that's more impressive than being lucky enough to outlive Henry by two years, because eh, how hard is that? <laughs> now, thank you guys so much for joining me in this episode. I will see you in two weeks with a brand new episode that I'm really excited about. Bye! Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at rain 2 The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience, so I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. Alright, uh, bye!